Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast, episode 38. I'm Justin, your host. And if this is your first time joining us this week, we're here every week demystifying careers of art and design to make it more inclusive, especially for people who might have been self-taught, who maybe found their way through Tumblr, found their way through Kanye to the found their way through any and every blog out there to try to figure out how they can pay their bills doing what they love. So one way that we help people along this path is to bring in outside guests from some of the biggest brands in the world, some of the biggest names in design, sharing conversations that will help you get out of bed and get out of your own way and into your dreams. This week, we're joined by Spandana Gopal. She is studio owner of T-Poy Studios based out of London, but originally she's from Bangalore, India. And I love this conversation because if you Google her studio name, T-I-I-P-O-I, you will find what is Indian design as the tagline of her studio. So today we're talking about owning your heritage, how to communicate where you're from and why it matters that you're from there to the rest of the world. She does it through home products. And today you're going to learn very tactical ways of thinking through the products in your brand. Number two, you're going to learn about what you should know in Indian design and about Indian culture and why it's important for it to be shared from the source and not anyone else. Tune in. But it did happen. Like yeah. It did happen. I didn't grow up in a village or anything. I grew up in a city, but there was still right. like a mango tree that we stole mangoes from. So I guess I, there's not like one thing, but I think like every day was like an adventure. Yeah. Where did you grow up? What city in India? Uh, so I grew up in Bangalore. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. Where Where did you go? Whitefield. Oh, uh, shit. Where was I? Um, I was right next to Bellendor Lake. The lake that catches on fire. Oh God! Yeah, tell me about um, it. Next, so next to Hebal, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Can, what is it? Karnataka, Karnataka, I think. Yeah, Karnataka is the name of the state. So you're kind of not too far from the airport, right? Yeah. Oh, Karnataka is the name of the state. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, like between the, so when you drive from the airport, you have to drive quite further into town to get to like. Yeah, it was so a kind long of way. In town and the airport, right? Yeah, I spent most of my time over there where like all the tech headquarters are and like Google's. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. And then where else? Like downtown, I went to. I'm literally trying to like recall all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I'm usually very, very good with directions. So if you plot me down in the middle of like any random city, I can pretty much find my way around. Except in Bangalore, I was like, yo, I have no fucking idea where I am. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the hobby that you wish you never gave up on? Mm, um, like you, I used to play the piano. I wish I didn't stop playing the piano. Um, I think I didn't like my teacher very much. That's always the story. You know, that's she my story too. Me out. Yeah, and I kind of hated her, and she just—I just get so so much anxiety when I had to go for like piano lesson because I just didn't like her, and she's kind of like. You know, this woman who lived by herself, like a house was really dark, and like very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck, I just wanted to get over. And like, she would just yell at me. And I was just, yeah, so I'm kind of sad. So I do have a piano in my flat now. Yeah. 
So is that, is that getting, yeah, I'm saying, is it, is it collecting dust or is it? I guess it's collecting dust. Yeah. I just love it so much as an object. So I have this kind of like fantasy. Um, so it's almost like this. I think it's, I have it there. So I don't feel guilty or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I hated piano lessons too. I actually, yeah. I quit piano lessons and then like taught myself how to play piano for yeah. Like, so I'm, oh, so you can play now? Yeah, I'm a pretty good pianist, but oh. I just couldn't do the lessons. I couldn't sit because my thing is like, and this is my approach to design or even like learning new skills is yeah, don't sit there and like teach me scales. Like I know if I know like three or four instruments, <laughs> so yeah. I know scales, right? Yeah. So to sit there and do that for like hours, I'm like, bro, this is boring. Yeah. <laughs> that's like that's like somebody teaching you how to draw a line to like yeah, yeah. Put it together with design or whatever i'm like dude i don't care about how to draw a line like teach me here's this shoe i like this fucking shoe can you yeah. teach me how to make this and that's literally yeah. how I, that's how i approached uh, just want to get down to business yeah and that, that's sort of the and it's funny it's a interesting segue into the content because that's the same mentality i approach with this podcast and with the project as a whole with educated guests and it's like design for me became very esoteric you know a lot yeah. of people were like no, nah, no, nah, I mean, you have to know this, 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 this before you can do yeah. anything over here. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you spend your whole life consuming. You spend your whole life learning about what you like. And I just don't find that it's extremely beneficial to teach someone how to design candelabras if they really, really wanted to make shoes all this time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that's my that's my random opinion. But let's. I want to hear your opinions on that. Just how do you go about prioritizing designs around the world we talked about eastern world mm. we talked about western world but mm. when you, your approach to the studio and prioritizing work what makes a product work and what makes it not work yeah i think that's a really good question so that's something we kind of learned the hard way right because i guess when i set up the studio i was not um i didn't know i had actually no idea what i was doing i had an idea that I wanted to talk about India via products. Yeah. Um, and I felt that setting up a brand could do that. But then I guess we, I didn't have a kind of system. And then, so I learned the hard way in terms of like what this kind of design system or a studio practice could be. So I guess that after we launched our first collection, which was in 2014, I think that was very strong because we kind of had, um, you know, we were, we got a good response because it was our first collection. We did a lot of primary research. Um, we were kind of more informed. It was kind of more talking about the brand. So it was like, it, it was a really tight brief for us to respond to. Mm -hmm. But then from then on, it became quite confusing to make decisions once you've launched your products into the world. Because then you're like, you can get seduced by, oh my God, I want to be featured in this magazine. So yeah. therefore, maybe I need to make products that look like this. I need to take photos that look like this. Um, my, I need to like, my the tone of voice in my press release needs to sound like this. So I think you can get seduced by all these things. And it can be very confusing and quite intimidating. But then I think recently what we've done is that we've so now what we do is that we kind of set up like um a t-point test 
So everything that we design, everything that we put forward as a kind of thought or an idea or a story goes to the T-Boy test. So the T-Boy test basically has like, you know, kind of has five criteria and you need to kind of respond to each of those criteria. And then you kind of just open it up and discuss it with the studio. And then, so everything we do from a photo that we take to a product we designed, to the shop that we're doing right now, everything goes by the T-Poy test. So I can't stress enough how important it is to create a system um, that basically is your kind of design philosophy and really sticking by that. So that's what you mentioned in the beginning when we were chatting about like what you take to your grave in terms of values, right? Whether this is successful or not. I think that if you have something like that, that's your kind of asset. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love that. And it's, um, it's, it takes more and more effort these days to find that focus than it, I think it ever has before. Obviously I've only lived in the 20th and 21st century. So I don't know what the fuck Thomas Edison was going through, but <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, I think it's like having the ability to focus your brand because all of this, you know, People talk about like building your brand and all that stuff. And to me, it's really about what you're willing to say no to. And yeah, for absolutely. you, it seems like that's the T-Poy system, the T-Poy test rather is, you know, I do something similar and it, I just love to hear that that's actually, sometimes I don't know if I'm doing the right thing and it's helpful to hear other people doing that similar thing. You know, one thing I try to do with the podcast at least is like, when writing like copy right for the ads and for anything that I put out there captions i do my best to at least think about you know if this were read aloud and this had to be on a billboard or if this were super bowl commercial who would read this which voice over actor would you have read this and it says a lot about your brand and my person is will smith and <laughs> i think it and i yeah. the first time i got that from uh remember the apple think different campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was reading yes. the whole backstory on that, and it was like the ad studio that Steve Jobs hired. They originally wanted, um, God, he's in Goodwill Hunting. Just he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, um, God, oh I no, yeah. uh, <laughs> Every time I tell this story, yeah, yeah. Is it Heath Ledger? No, no, no. Sorry, the guy who the Joker. It wasn't Matt Damon. It wasn't Ben Affleck. It was the therapist in Goodwill Hunting, who was also Mrs. Doubtfire, who was also Robin Williams. Robin Williams, thank you. See, oh my god, I suck. <laughs> I'm terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. that's like one of my all-time favorite movies. But I don't even anyway. But the point is, he was going to read off the Think Different campaign, and it set the tone for the entire theme, right? And it sounds like that T-Poy test is something like that for you and as you grow it's easier to yeah. like bring new people on yeah and that way i guess um because i think hierarchy can be quite problematic uh, because i guess that although it's my company i guess the format here in the studio is that um we all kind of there is no hierarchy because everyone kind of brings something different so yeah. in a way, I think of it as kind of co-directors working together. Um, 
so the test kind of oversees that, right? So no one person can be like, okay, this is my de- my idea, I want to kind of take it forward. Yeah. Um, you have to kind of just go back to the test, and I I think that that can even protect the business from yourself, because sometimes the only thing that comes in the way of you and your work is you. <laughs> um, I got an, I I've got an interesting question here, and you're sparking a lot, but this is the I think the most important one is. Fast forward 50 years from now, 75 years from now, your brand has lasted that long and pass it on to son or daughter, whatever. What's the one purpose-driven statement that you would want people to know about the impact that T-Boy made from a design and just a social standpoint? What, is it, what do you think that would look like? Like what the impact I wanted to have? Not just in the next five years, but the next 75 years. Well, because I think what I'm hoping for is another way of looking at life. So kind of encouraging an attitude of being open and having openness towards things that are unfamiliar Mm -hmm. or ideas that are unfamiliar, objects that are unfamiliar. So I feel kind of, you know, it's quite exciting when you think that a brand can do that, you know. Um, because when you kind of look at this kind of space within what a brand can be today, it can be anything. Yeah. And then, you know, it's almost like the, the possibilities are endless, right? So I think the, the fact that even today, if someone buys a T-Boy product and takes it home with them and uses it and really uses it. And, you know, so it kind of ends up looking totally different to how it was originally. I think that's pretty amazing because then there's like an imprint, which is on this kind of object, which, you know, is not me anymore or is not mm. Tipo anymore. Um, I feel like there's a real exchange there or like there's a real kind of evolution of this object. So I think I'm really interested in that where it doesn't become about like kind of my, my ambition so much as it, as the brand kind of just takes on its own identity and own relationships with people. Yeah. You know, Um, and then it's, it's almost like you, yeah, you kind of have to let go of it. (laughs) you know, I love that, and it's it's ringing. It it's speaking to me so loudly right now. There's no other eloquent way to say that because I'm I'm studying this, reading this book called Mindfulness for Beginners, and I've been I meditated roughly three or four times a week for like the past eight to eight to twelve months. So nonetheless, there's this portion of that book that I literally read last night, which is why it's like so coincidental where. Like part of mindfulness and Eastern philosophy as a whole is all about separating yourself from I, me, my, mine. And that applies to thoughts, that applies to objects, that applies to space. And once you're able to separate the fact that like, oh, that's mine, this is mine, this is, I did that or, you know, whatever, you're able to have, I think that's what you're pushing for. And it sounds like, that's something that is, yeah, I think you're right on point. And I love that because 
I think in today's age, it's like there's such a focus on getting the product out so fast that oftentimes there's not this depth of thought behind, no, here's what we're trying to do. Here's why we're doing it. Here's the conversation we're trying to start. And I'm interested, where do, uh, where do you ever run into conflicts when, mm, with business yeah. and purpose? Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's quite, uh, it's kind of a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, a big mistake that you can make um, that we've made is that if you're kind of chasing the money, especially if you're doing something which is not about money, <laughs> mm. which is something else, that's when there's conflict, right? So if I'm saying that, hey, man, I have this big vision with my brand, yeah, you know, and this is what I want to do, and I'm talking about the Tipo Adjust, I'm talking about, like, you know, this kind of solid, uh, unflinching way of working. But then I'm saying, I'm like, oh, you know, it's really trendy to make like copper tea lights right now. Yeah. Let's just do that. Um, I mean, that that's really, that kind of kills it. Mm. Because I think, I think it kind of, um, it kind of leaks out even though you don't think that um, it's making a difference, you're still kind of using your studio time um, to do that. You're still kind of using your resources to do that. You're still kind of, um, you know, you're, you're, you're putting an energy in deviating from um, what you originally set out to do mm. um, with the idea that it's going to make some money. So I guess that, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, go after making money, but yeah. I think that separating it from the beginning is something that I would highly encourage. So the way we do it is that we don't compromise Tpoy. Uh so whatever is Tpoy is kind of Tpoy and that's just it has its integrity and kind of nothing kind of um seeps through that. Right. Um, so like you said, we say no to a lot of things that we, rather than saying yes, like we have to say no to a lot of stuff coming our way. But then, uh, the way we kind of get some cash in the bank is, um, that we do, uh, just straightforward design work. So we also operate as a product design studio mm. where we just offer our product design services because, um, we still have, we're still a studio with the same skills, right? Yeah. Um, so you're kind of thinking about, so we're thinking of it like, okay, Tipo is a client of a studio. And then there are all these other people who also may be clients of the studio. So right now, for example, we're working on like a Montessori project. We're working on a really weird project for an exoskeleton. Uh, we've done some kind of bespoke manufacturing for like hotels. Damn. Um, we've like done some advisory services on like, you know, with interior design. So it's like the, it's really broad. Yeah. Um, once you kind of, I think, but you have to differentiate. Like, so we don't kind of put the depoy stand on any of these things that we do Right. where, you know, it doesn't identify with the test or the depoy brand. And that way we can keep things separate. So, 
I think somewhere along the way, like things started getting muddled. And then that's where it's not just you who kind of realizes it, but it's your, your audience picks it up. You know, people can get a sense that, okay, these guys are kind of moving away now or like, you know, they're not being, I mean, yeah, people won't be explicit, but they, they can get a sense of it. I'm interested to know what sort of feedback loop you look for for the daily or weekly or monthly impact that the T-Poy products make. So a good example would be like, I see someone using the iPhone. So I know that my effort, my appreciation for design, my appreciation for what this could mean to somebody's feeling of elegance and uh, coolness, I see them using it. So when you see someone using a T-Poy product or buying a T-Poy product, what sort of feedback do you get? Because I think we can maybe get locked into like the pattern of, yeah, I'm always working on the next thing. I'm always working on the next thing. So how do you stop and how do you make sure that, yo, my purpose is being accomplished? How do you measure that success? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the way we do that is, again, I think for us, we we don't really, it's just a test. I keep coming back to the test. Mm. I think the test really kind of protects us. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it kind of, it it really because it takes so much time to put anything through the test like mm-hmm. you're looking at a period of like three to six months of just research and you know not even development but for it to go to like a prototyping stage and then you're looking at another three months so literally if we go through the test we can only do one collection a year um mm. and that really kind of um slows things down you know and that really makes it very very considered um so but i but i think you're right i think that in terms of like a feedback loop if we're thinking about people you know using the product uh buying into the product it's quite evident because then we kind of know you know we we know kind of which ones people are just you know, people love and people kind of come back for. And it's really nice to have like, you know, followers of the brand. I mean, we're very small, but mm-hmm. like, you know, for people to kind of, when we see like customers buying things again. Keeping up with it. Uh, or being like, oh, I want to have like all the colors or, oh, I want to have like, you know, coming back like for Christmas to buy gifts. I think that's that's a great feeling. It's like, you know, because I think the feeling that you've made something that people are willing to, you know, pay money for, like it's their money. Yeah. You know, that that's just, um, I mean, that's just great, man. And I think that's that that's just like the reward, isn't it? Not the money. I mean, just the feeling that, you know, you've done something that someone wants in, in their life. I want to transition a little bit to tackling big design problems. So I, I mentioned jokingly earlier when I was in Bangalore, like the lake was on fire and it literally yeah. was on fire like three, three or four weeks before I got in there and I'm yeah. passing by it every day. And you mentioned it jokingly, right? Like when you're back in the U.S., you're like, damn, that lake was really on fire. But for people that are literally living day to day next to it, you know, you can have all the money in the world and your city can be growing and growing and growing, having tech companies come over there. And I mean, you grew up there, so you know the landscape. 
you've got, and I mentioned this via the email I sent over, it's like we got 11, 12 million people over there, but maybe only infrastructure and design and really thought for like 2 million, maybe 3 million. Mm. What thoughts do you have on that? Just giving your heritage, giving your. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's something that I've been looking at very recently. I guess just navigating this, like, you know, me being kind of Indian living in London. Yeah. Um, but I don't really feel British, but I have a British passport. Um, and I, I do feel like as soon as you say that you're, I've had to really push my case that I'm doing design and that I'm not um, just another manufacturer or someone who's kind of appropriating crafts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what's really important to consider here is that India has been independent uh, for not a very long time. Right. Very, very young country. Um, so I think it's, what, 76 years? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I just feel that we need to kind of take this history into account and i don't think i think being here i don't feel like it's definitely fully decolonized in terms of uh how people kind of um the image of india or the image of indianness or the kind of even image of indian design which didn't really exist it doesn't really exist and i'm kind of trying to put forward that case yeah so i feel like in order to be able to to translate stuff like i feel like the if i if i can make an impact um here which is kind of talking about um design systems and sustainability and kind of how you know this this kind of the design that exists in the everyday landscape but it's not really seen as such yeah uh, because we don't have you know, we don't have a clear linear history of of design. We don't have design schools. We have one design school that was kind of set up by the Eames mm-hmm. um, post independence. Is that in Mumbai? Oh uh, no, it's in Ahmedabad. Okay, which is in Gujarat. Um, but essentially, it's like we don't really have we don't really have a canon um, where you know uh, roles roles are kind of set out for people in the urban environment like so i feel like if you look at this infrastructure and you look at like you know who was actually erecting all this infrastructure it was actually the pwd infrastructure which was part of the british raj right which was essentially very rapidly erected concrete infrastructure that yeah. was almost like scaffolding and essentially the people behind it who were part of the raj they were not they were not architects. They were not designers. They were people who kind of, you know, were posted there from the army. They were like, you know, government officials. Yeah, just get houses, um, houses, houses. We need houses. And that's- yeah. Or they were like, you know, we need this. We need a government building. We need to erect a, a road. We need to erect railways. We need to. So it was like, yeah. it was called the public works department. So, when you, so essentially what the, I think the government of India has kind of not really changed that kind of um the way urbanism is looked at or the way infrastructure is looked at is kind of um it's kind of continued in that same way and i don't i think that today like uh bangalore just had its first 
design week. There's another festival happening now in November. Yeah. And I think that like suddenly like all these kind of, I think students graduating now, uh, there's a whole kind of um, bunch of architects, interior designers, interior architects who have really become aware. And like, I think people are just doing stuff. And it's just amazing to see that energy. Um, although I'm not directly part of that scene, I'm kind of like in and out. So I feel that we have like a lot more to kind of unpick. It's not just kind of making it, it's not, it's not as easy as the West has it. <laughs> because, it. because it's kind of like, we need to kind of first, um, we, we, we didn't have a proper industrial revolution. We didn't have a craft revolution. I mean, it, we, I mean, it's, it's, it was not straightforward mm. at all. So I think that, yeah, every, like we didn't, it's, it's in the situation where we're, cons- where we're now kind of become, you know, we're seen as a third world. I don't know what that word means, you know, economy manufacturing for the West. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to go into how that happened, but, you know, it's politics. And I feel like you can't, if you're kind of thinking about, you know, design today, you can't, you need to know what your politics are and like, why, why are things like that? Like, why, why is it like that? It's not, it's not straightforward. Yeah. Um, sorry, it's a very long answer. No, no, no. I love the passion. I mean, I'm looking at you. I'm like. Wow, I see, I see the like the true passion and frustration in there. I I feel, I feel <laughs> like raw emotion, and I appreciate that. And I can, although it's not, it's not as if we're dealing with seventy five years of only being independent, right? On if you think about Western culture, but you know, I'm I'm a black dude that grew up in fucking Birmingham, Alabama, so I'm like. <laughs> A lot. You're you're talking. I'm like, yo, this is not too much different than what's going on here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's. I mean, and on a side note, I don't know. I've just been reading this book. I mean, which is uh, written by this uh, incredible woman called Jenny Edelodge, uh, and it's called um, "Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race." Um, and it's the. I mean, it's it's obviously like so for me like. I'm reading it and like I can now articulate what I've been feeling or like don't know could otherwise not articulate. And I'm saying that this is kind of just one part of like a story that means something to me. Right. But essentially like, you know, um, in Britain, people don't talk about imperialism. Mm -hmm. You know, the museums don't talk. I mean, they, they, it's like it's kind of like no one wants to talk about it yeah. they don't get you know kids don't get taught about it in school like but i feel like in america at least you have like you know everyone knows about black politics it's like in mainstream culture yeah but in britain it's kind of like um you know no one knows about the black civil movement like yeah. what happened man like it's weird you know you know it's that's why a movie like black panther is so important uh, yeah (laughs) because it's like there's so many themes in there i'll call out two of them for anybody listening to this there's about to be some spoilers but at the very end where they're like talking about 
once they finally realize where Wakanda is and like realize that they house all this metal and they house all like the the wealth of the world and they're keeping it like in a very nationalist mentality, like keeping it to themselves, it allows you not to be the victim is my key takeaway because in a victim mentality, you know, whether it's the colonization of India or, you know, the slavery of Africans or whatever it is, you know, if you are in the victim mentality, you're always going to blame your captor. But yeah, I think exactly. in the movie, it's extremely, it was extremely moving to me to see that like, damn, once you understand your captor's position, understand that, damn, I don't forgive you for what you were doing, but I understand the mindset that led you to that. Then at that point, you take back power and you're like, yo, and I hear it in your, your comments too. Or it's like, yo, like, all right, imperialism happened. They colonized our country. The Porky, Portuguese did too in the Southern, Southern India, all that good stuff. And you're like, all right, we're about to move past all that. We we're taking it upon ourselves to like build this up ourselves and it's not going to be looking for a rescue. And I think that's, that's a powerful thing I hear you talking about. Which is why I think that, yeah. So I think this position of a victim, um, which is weird because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm constantly like, I'm constantly asked about craft just because I'm Indian, you know, just like, Man, like, why? Why are you only sharing images of like dying and block printing and indigo? Like, what about the rest of like industrial production that you know, like, ha- you know, half these kind of department stores of the world get their, you know, like house ranges made made in India? Like, yeah, I mean, that's not made by who is that made by? Absolutely. So it's 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 kind of like. I feel like it's a kind of um, it's convenient or something, or it's kind of become like this really comfortable uh, place, you know, like you, Oh yeah, I'm just going to go and eat a curry mm-hmm. and it's in the same yeah. restaurant yeah. over and over again. And if the menu oh. changes, suddenly you don't like it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like, man, like, yeah, we need to change this menu. Mm. Just, we, we just have to change it now. What are some different, perspectives from Indian culture you wish people would uh, ask more about or learn more about? Because, yeah, I mean, from the Western viewpoint, you know, you go to (laughs) and I love I love brown food. So I know I know a ton about it. And I'm just like, yo. But, you know, (laughs) looking back to the time where I first had I'm like, once you have chicken tikka masala and once you have (laughs) uh, maybe like one goat biryani and you're like, all right, cool. Like, this is amazing. And then that's your fix and you don't care to ask more. And being immersed in it for weeks at a time, like I was, I'm definitely not an expert, but I see there's so many different colors associated with the culture. You know, what what is, what would be that thing you would be interested in sharing? Um, well, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it's not, I guess it's, it's rather than me kind of sharing an idea or kind of shoving a new concept down people's throats. Like, I feel like I, I just want people to kind of, um, maybe just ask different questions or mm. just be like, you know, why are we so comfortable with these images? Yeah. Like what about seeing a craftsman's hand and seeing some kind of nostalgic village scene makes me feel like this product is good or like it's comforting for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's everything from, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, so, I, like, for, I think for me, I just want, 
there to be some deeper engagement absolutely you know so and i feel like if i'm if i'm trying to just make things differently or kind of interact with my own kind of craftsmen differently and my studio setting up a different kind of working environment in india mm-hmm. uh which we have um you know i i feel like i hope people can be more open to new ideas you know which are kind of moving away from these stereotypes yeah uh, of what indian design should look like or feel like you know because Absolutely. it's very confining otherwise you know it's like oh yeah you just think about how you can make this using a craft mm. but i'm like no man like i can tell you about how to solve a design problem you know like today we're thinking about like like a crisis with plastic everyone's just going nuts but it's just like Bombay was one of the first cities to ban to have to ban single use plastic like mm. way before any of the european cities did and it's kind of like we don't have official recycling but no one wastes stuff in india it's like like we didn't yeah it's so it's it's just like thinking about a mindset that exists already yeah um and being like half the world does this in this way <laughs> anyway <laughs> absolutely it, i've got a couple a couple more questions we're running not necessarily close to time but i want to be mindful of your day um the yeah the, the first one i have is i want to hear your opinions on gratitude how can you be grateful for something while also wanting something more for your life Mm. Oh, it's deep. <laughs> um, how can I be grateful for something? Um, so I guess I'm I'm quite spiritual yeah. as a person. Um, and I think I I mean I'm basically I, I was born a Hindu, mm. and I think that um I prac I kind of I'm interested in some parts of Hinduism, but I think I'm also like a practicing Buddhist. um at the same time I love that yeah so um I do do I do chant and I kind of go to buddhist meetings and I um I feel I feel quite protected by the universe mm-hmm. if that makes sense um no, you you're I'm right with you yeah. <laughs> I hear you Yeah so I think I it's just a sense um that I get um so for me like I don't know if I eat a really nice meal that I've cooked or someone's cooked for me I think that makes me super happy. Mm. And that's when I feel I really feel a sense of feeling grateful. I can't explain it and I don't know why, but I think that it's like a very simple human um act, isn't it? Like yeah. cooking for someone or like just eating food that's kind of made for you with love and i guess this is a big thing of india and food where i guess people don't really tell each other how much they love each other they just feed each other mm. <laughs> <laughs> i yeah i feel that i feel that so much <laughs> yeah 
So I don't know if that answered your question. It, it does. It does. Yeah. It's, it's something meditative about you know cooking in particular, and I think that that's the perfect example. You know, I asked a pretty broad question, like, all right, how can you be grateful and still want something more? But to narrow it down, it's like, how can you simultaneously enjoy this fish and bread or whatever you have on your plate mm. while also feeling okay with wanting a big 50, 60, $70 steak every once in a while. And it's like, yeah, yeah like, yeah. And I, I talked to a lot of friends about this and it's not just some random thing I brought up randomly. It's uh, I'm just interested in your opinion. I'm like, yo, we'll sit there and be like, damn, dude, we've made it a long way. But how awesome, like the second you begin to think about, damn, you know, it would be really fucking cool if I owned a bigger house or it would be really <laughs> cool if I could go here. Yeah. And then I think there's like, there's two kind of thoughts where you're, yeah. Damn, like someone will be quick to tell you, yo, happiness is not in the private jet. Happiness oh, I see what you mean. And yeah. I'm just like, dude, but how, you know, how do you stay aspirational? How do you keep yeah. setting goals while also not forgetting yeah. to be grateful for what you have? It's kind of a paradox. It's, uh, that's why I'm interested. Yeah. So I think the, the cool thing about Buddhism um, is that uh, basically it doesn't, differentiate between when something is materialistic and something is not materialistic mm. it's really weird so when you're chanting you can chant for i want a big house <laughs> yeah. um and then if you're but you can also chant for you know just to chant and just to kind of um just feel something you know feel more buddha or something but but i feel that not not really setting these kind of um not differentiating between like um oh my god like having this meal is so much better than having this meal mm. that's way I, that's the way i do it so i, I guess that if i if i eat somewhere really expensive if we, okay if we talk about food if i eat somewhere really expensive I guess like I'm okay with it. And then if I don't eat somewhere expensive, I'm okay with it too. Yeah. Um, and there's just something, but I feel like the quality, because the quality is the most important thing to me. So I feel like if I, I don't mind paying money for food, that's really good. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't mind eating food in my house, which is as good. Um, I know what you mean. So it's just kind of like, it's more about a value system, right? It's like, what is, what is the thing that is making account? Yeah. Um, and I think every one of us is different. Um, yeah. Yeah. A, a good friend of mine always told me, and you know, everybody has that person that they come to and they're like, yo, my, my, I don't know what the fuck, is going on in my life could you please help and then they always like have some magical thing to say <laughs> i don't i don't care who how zen you are or whatever because i'm usually i'm sometimes that person for other people but i have you know people in my life that i go to and he always tells me he's like dude if you don't if you don't ever have um his name's joe he was actually another guest on the show like one of the second guests but if you never know or consider or write down or get focused on what you want the answer is always going to be more I just take that with me every now and then. I'm like, dude, wow, that's cool. If I don't have a concrete 
example or answer for like what is making me feel good, then I'm just going to want a bigger steak or I'm going to want a bigger house or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And where does it stop, man? Like, Your last question is, what would you say to the 17 year old version of yourself? Ooh. <laughs> um, I would say, um, God, I would say so much. I would first give her a massive hug. Um, and I just tell her that she's cool. Thank you so much again for tuning in. This has been a wonderful conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you found value in this. If you have found that value, please go leave us a review and a subscribe on iTunes. That really helps us boost what we're doing with content here and how it reaches new people and new ears. Again, if you were someone who's felt left out of the general art and design conversation from a career standpoint, this is built for you. This is a space for you to learn, to grow free of judgment and to crack that code on what it means to build a career that you can love and sustain. Again, sharing culture through design. Don't be afraid of your heritage. Don't be afraid of where you come from and sharing that with others. Don't turn down your music. You can check out more of T-Poy Studios and what Spandana and the team have going on on Instagram. That's T-I-I-P-O-I at T-I-I-P-O-I. Check us on Instagram as well if you want to keep up educated underscore, educated underscore guests. 